Hi guys, it's JC, the You Made New Podcast. Let's see, we're on 12, aren't we? I wish so much that we could be sitting across the table from each other or, you know, crashed on my couch just chatting about all of this. I wish I could see your face and listen to you talk about where your mind has been through all of this, what you're thinking, <clears throat> maybe even what you're struggling with or or what these ideas have done to open your mind like they have with mine. I mean, my eyes were just opened and I was starting to see life in such a new way. It also showed me how blind I'd been for so long um, or just misguided, just running off in the wrong direction. And, and this just started to give so much clarity to exactly what my focus needed to be. And so we're continuing with that, zeroing in on coming to know Christ all kinds of different aspects, what it means, what it looks like, Um, where my mind has been this week. I've been thinking a lot about the scriptures and how often Jesus personally invited us, encouraged us, even commanded us to come unto him. Come unto me. Think how often you read that in the word. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy, heavy and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We we quote these so much, but look at the language. Come unto me. This call to draw near. John seven thirty seven. The it was in the middle of this great feast, and Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Um. Isaiah 55 verse 3, we've used this one already a lot, actually. (laughs) Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. Come, come, come. It's this invitation he offers again and again. And I think for so many years, I just came to church. Does that make sense? I just came to church. I didn't come to him. I appreciated him. I learned about him. I admired him. I didn't have bad feelings for him, but I just came to church. I just came to activities. I just opened my scriptures and read. I didn't come to him. I think I often thought when people would talk about coming to him, I thought in my head, I just interpreted like, okay, that means I have to do more religious stuff, serve more, study more, work harder. And so I'm just making sure. I know we've we've talked about this, but let's make sure that our goal right now is to come to him as a person. Whenever we walk into church, whenever we open our Bible, whenever we get down on our knees, we're not just doing that activity. We're seeking a person. We're trying to draw near to him. The definition of come, I even looked that up, to approach or move toward a particular person, a place, to draw near, to approach him, to personally, literally a person. I know I'm I'm just probably beating a dead horse. I'm like <laughs> being so repetitive, but I didn't have that in my brain. I was just going through the church motions. So if that's where you've been, like me, it's time to shift. It's time to shift. We're coming to a person. We're seeking a person specifically because that's what he asked. And that's the only way we can know him. So... I think we have that down and we're going to go deeper. 
today and add a second piece to that. Coming into him, key to come to know him, to begin to build that relationship. But as I've studied and looked more at all his, his invitations in the scriptures, I noticed a pattern um, that talks specifically about how we come to him. It's all over. It's in the New Old Testament. It's all over. But I'm actually going to use a set of several verses from the Book of Mormon because this pattern just shows up so clearly. For those that know the book, it's from um, 3 Nephi, various verses in various sections. But listen to the repeated pattern. I'm going to just read these three verses back to back. Repent and come unto me with full purpose of heart and I shall heal you. Now this is the commandment. Repent all ye ends of the earth and come unto me. Therefore, whoso repenteth and come unto me as a little child, him will I receive. Did you see the duo? Yes, there's the invitation to come. There it is. Come unto me. Come. I'll heal you. I'll receive you. In fact, there was another one. You'll love this. Another one in 3rd Nephi that said, if you will come unto me, you shall have eternal life. I mean, boom, there it is. Come unto me. And now we see eternal life differently, don't we? Come and you'll have eternal life. You'll have it. You'll possess it. But in that couple, in those three verses I read, it was repent and come unto me. Repent and come unto me. Three times. Kind of this new idea. Don't just come. Repent and come. And again, those that know the New Testament well know he said this all the time. He talks about repentance all the time. He sent John the Baptist to to make the way before him. And that was the main message. Repent. Um, I think the problem is for a lot of us, and again, this comes from my history, but I'm guessing I'm not the only one. Repentance was never my favorite Sunday message. Like it was depressing. It felt like a guilt trip. It felt like beating myself up. It felt like, oh, shame and and just all my sins. I know, I know, I need to repent. It just felt so negative. Um, we've got to reframe that because this is our goal to repent and come unto him. We've got to see it a little differently. I'm going to share a quote with you from an LDS leader. His name was Theodore M. Burton. He passed away like 30 years ago. This quote like shifted it. It did it for me. I was like, oh, wait, what? (laughs) Listen to this. He says, in the New Testament, the Greek writers used the Greek word metanoeo to refer to repentance. Metanoeo is a compound word in the context in which meta and noeo are used in the New Testament. That word, metanoeo, means a change of mind thought, or thinking so powerful that it changes one's very way of life. Now listen, confusion came, however, when the New Testament was translated from Greek into Latin. Here, an unfortunate choice was made in translation. The Greek word metanoeo was translated, and I'm not sure if he's referring to the King James. I'm assuming that's what he means, and I haven't done the studying behind this. The Greek word metanoia was translated into the Latin word pointier. I butchered that. The Latin word puen in that word is the same root found in our English words punish, penance, penitent, penitent, and repentance. 
Now, here he goes. Listen. The beautiful meaning of the Hebrew and Greek words was thus changed in Latin to a meaning a meaning that involved hurting, punishing, whipping, cutting, mutilating, disfiguring, starving, or even torturing. The, the Latin root word is punish, torturing. It is no small wonder then, he says, that people have come to fear and dread the word repentance, which they understand to mean repeated or unending punishment. Do you think that has been the case for you? I think it probably was for me. I did fear and dread it. I, it, Like I said, if the Sunday message was on repentance, my brain kind of checked out. That was not one I got excited about. But Christ says it so much. What if we shift to see metanoeo the way that Greek meaning intended it to be? A change of mind, thought, or thinking so powerful that it changes one's very way of life. I mean, that's beautiful, isn't it? It's transformation. That's what metanoeo then. What if every time he was saying repent, he was saying be transformed, transform, change in such a powerful way that it changes everything. Listen to this from LDS leader Russell M. Nelson. It's again the same idea. The doctrine of repentance is much broader than a dictionary's definition. When Jesus said repent, his disciples recorded that command in the Greek language with the verb metanoeo. Here we go again. This powerful word has great significance. In this word, the prefix meta means change. The suffix relates to four important Greek terms, Nous, meaning the mind, gnosis, meaning knowledge, pneuma, meaning spirit, and no, meaning breath. Thus, when Jesus said repent, he asked us to change, to change our mind, knowledge, our spirit, even our breath. Isn't that cool? Let's start to shift. And as Jesus says repent, he's not beating us with a stick. He's not shaming us. He's not shaking his finger at us when he says repent and come unto me. Picture him saying it with a smile on his face. Be changed. Everything in you. Come unto me and let's let's transform head to toe, inside out. Let's be transformed. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. So um, the second way we can look at it, and it kind of fits our purposes even better, um, is you look at the Hebrew word for repent in the Bible. And that was the word shub, which is used a thousand times in the Old Testament. It's over and over and over. And the meaning there is a little different than metanoeo. The meaning of shub is simply to turn, turn back, return. And if we look at it that way, couldn't we just see when Christ says return or repent and come unto me, isn't he asking us to just stop wandering? prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. He just turn around, return, turn back, come. So for me at this point, I think the best way we can focus on this is our main goal in repentance is giving up our wandering. All those other things we've wandered to turning back, turning away from them. That's what needs to change so dramatically in our mind is a shift of our heart and mind from seeking after those things as our joy, as our comfort, as our answer, 
as the way to find success in life, as the way to be happy, as a way to cover our insecurity. We are shifting from those other lovers like Gomer. She would run off to all those other things. They gave me my wine and my drink. And remember, she used to say, forget it. I'm not staying with Hosea. I'm running after all those other things because they have such rewards. That's how we've been. We've run off to our escapes. We've run off. So now it's the shift. The repentance is the return, turning completely around and giving him our full attention, our whole heart. It's, it's a turn back. This is Gomer leaving behind all her other lovers, coming back home and giving her whole heart and soul to Hosea. That's the symbolism of what we're doing with our hearts and minds at this point in the journey. Let's let's look a little bit more at Hosea and Gomer because we we talked about the beginning of their story. But oh my goodness, it this story is so beautiful. The end of it just slays me. If you ever want an interesting study, um, read Hosea. It's only a few short chapters. And the first three, even if you just do the first three, read it in another translation. Like the NIV or the message really changes it. But it kind of just makes it come alive. This this tragic story that she just kept leaving him and was so unfaithful to him. But in the end, the focus isn't on her unfaithfulness. It's that she had a redeemer. She ran off to the lovers. She left Hosea and she ended up in bondage in Hosea chapter 3. I mean, where do our false gods bring us? It's the same bondage. I ended up in addiction. (laughs) I mean, they're empty and we're in the bondage of sin. We're just seeking out all these things again and again and again. And I was in that same kind of bondage. It was spiritual bondage, stuck in my spiritual death. And I needed to be ransomed the same way Gomer did. She She was a slave. She She was ended up in bondage. So Hosea 3... And this is the King James. Hosea says, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. That was the slave price. I mean, guys, this is such beautiful symbolism of how Christ paid the ransom for us, how we have been prone to wander like sheep. We have all gone astray, Isaiah says. And we ended up in spiritual death and in spiritual bondage. And he purchased the price just like Hosea, to buy us out of that bondage and bring us back. But listen to what Hosea says to Gomer. He buys her out of slavery. And in Hosea 3, verse 3, he says, And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. Give me your heart. No more more other lovers. Stay home. Abide for me many days. No more playing the harlot. No more other men. Give me your heart. But if you do, you'd think Hosea would be like, not ever even willing to give his heart to this woman. But that's what he says in Hosea 3.3. So will I also be for thee. You turn back to me and I will love you. I'm not just buying you out of bondage. I will love you. I will pour out on my love on you. In fact, if you keep reading through Hosea 3, ooh, it may be 2. No, I think it's 2. Sorry. I have some notes that I think I wrote wrong. Um, and I don't have it open on my scriptures over right now. In Hosea 2, 
he's talking about how he's going to win her back and how he's going to win her from her lovers and bring her back home. And it talks about in verse 16, in that day, the King James is a little confusing. It just says, in that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt no more call me, call me Baali. But if you look at the translation of those words, and you can do this in the NIV or um, in in some of the footnotes, sometimes it, it clarifies those. All he's saying to her is that that day when you finally return to me, you're going to call me husband. Thou shalt no more call me master like a slave. You're going to call me husband. I'm bringing you back to a relationship of love. Even after your unfaithfulness, I am inviting you back into this beautiful relationship of intimacy. Um, and then 17, I'm going to take away the names of your lovers, basically is what it says, out of your mouth. And they shall be remembered no more. And listen to 19. Here we go. And maybe this is chapter three. I need to look this up. Sorry, guys, if I'm confusing you. Just look at two and three. <laughs> This is the best part. He says, this is what Hosea says to Gomer. I will be betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth, or is it betroth? I think it's betroth. It means married. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and loving kindness and in mercies. 20. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Thou shalt know the Lord. Listen to this in the NIV, the same um, section. I think it's three. I didn't even copy the, oh my gosh. Don't worry about it. You'll, this is that same verse 19 and 20 in the message. And then I'll marry you for good forever. I'll marry you true and proper in love and tenderness. Yes, I'll marry you and neither leave you nor let you go. You'll know me, God, for who I really am. I just, the the symbolism is so beautiful in this chapter, in these several chapters of Hosea, because we too may think, how would he ever want to know me after all of my wandering, all of my sin, all of my hot mess, all the stuff I've done to leave him and to, to turn from him and turn to other things and escape to other things. Why would he want to know me? But that's the love of Christ. He sees, he knows, he knows what it is to be fallen. He knows that we've gotten lost in all those places. And he doesn't just purchase us the ransom to buy us back out of our sin, out of our spiritual bondage. He says, come, I'll marry you. I want to betroth thee unto me. I want you to know me intimately. If you'll repent and come unto me, you shall have eternal life and you will know me. And there will be such a relationship of love. Oh, isn't that beautiful? It's really the most beautiful love story ever told. But Hosea is so willing to accept the return of this unfaithful wife. It is us. I know we don't like to think of ourselves as unfaithful, but we have wandered and he's just waiting. He's just waiting. And so he says, repent and come. Just turn, return, come back. Now, if our hearts are ready, 
if we're like truly feeling I, this is what I want more than anything else in the world to know him, to come back wholeheartedly, to leave behind all those things that have been a distraction and have kept me separated from him. That is our goal. So in the next two episodes, we're actually going to dig into this word repent a little more. We learned today it's a beautiful meaning. It's not a brutal, depressing, negative meaning. It's beautiful. But we have to deconstruct it. What does that mean? I'm going to base this on an LDS verse out of the LDS scripture, DNC um, 58, verse 43. Those, those that are Christian, please trust me, this is a New Testament um, truth. So I just love the way this verse is phrased. We're going to use this verse specifically to break down the next two sessions. This is what it says. By this ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins. I mean, clearly, here's how you know if a man repents. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them. So we're breaking it down. We're going to do an episode on confession and an episode on what it means to forsake. What is that even talking about? Because, I mean, I will tell you, I've tried a thousand times to forsake my sin and I end up going right back. I was like Gomer. I would promise myself never again, never again. No, I'm not going to do that anymore. Whatever it was. And back I would go. Oh my gosh, back I would go. So I wanted to come to Christ often, but sometimes my natural man, my flesh would just run off and run off and go right back and go right back to those same sins. So we want to turn to him in a way that we stay turned. That's what we're going to do in the next two episodes. How do we return and repent in a way that we're tomorrow? We're not just right back in the ditch, right back in all our old patterns, right back in our escapes. Some of them are very addictive. Some of them we're very attached to. And we're going to talk about that. He has grace for us as we slowly learn to detach ourselves from our old ways and have this metanoeo experience where we're changed so powerfully it changes our very way of life. That's where we're headed in the next two episodes. And I hope you'll join me. Thanks.